BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com and if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line or maybe even read stories with me or maybe you have a story you'd like to read to me head on over to patreon at lorehammer listener lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show enjoy Hello and welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the 40k podcast where you get to write the script. Hey everybody, uh, I'm your host and joining me today, we got Conrad. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Oh, it's going very good. Um, I'm excited to chat 40k. I got that daily itch that needs scratching, so thanks for helping me scratch it. Absolutely, that's that's what I like to do the best, just scratch itches and play 40k, so this, <laughs> this works out pretty perfect. Uh, today's story is written by Michael, and it is called the Madris, Madrasati, Madrasati, maybe? Yeah, I think that's about right. <laughs> yeah, Madrasati species, and this is a homebrew Xenos that is based off of a D&D rulebook, I guess, so let's work our way through this and see where it leads us. <clears throat> Madder, Madarazi, Madarazi, <laughs> fuck this name, I'm changing it. Um, <laughs> Raptor-like species, Ultima Segmentum, System, Altharius, Planet, Antheus. History, thought to be seated directly by the old ones himself in their desperation. Now a member of the greater good under the protection of the Tau Empire. They were gifted technologies and resources from the Tau Empire when they joined the Greater Good, allowing them to enhance their special war gear they use for their unique physiologies. Awesome. That's, uh, I always love these kind of stories like this, you know, implicating it into the Tau. It's like the covenant from Halo. I've always (laughs) loved that. This this looks like a good one. Yeah. Um, so, all right, settlements and world. So, um, Anthus had a heavy tectonic activity during one period in its history, leading to many mountains and many long canyons with massive cliffs sides in the, around the planet. They live in burrows within the cliff faces and around the mountain peaks rather than towns and cities on surface. 
Their settlements are almost entirely hidden within the natural landscape and almost never easily accessible from the ground. Their nests have warp dampening and nullifying wards and runes running through the walls of the structures, not only making any connection with the warp impossible within the nest, but also making it impossible for warp beings to enter the nest without taking constant and brutal pain for every second they remain. A warp being couldn't appear within the walls due to the null effect of the wards, but, but should one walk into the nest, they would be physically, uh, physically and physically repulsed and constantly injured, making combat basically impossible for them at any time. That's fucking cool. I great job of like describing like the hills with all these burrows and just like the wards. That's so sweet. Yeah, it, it kind of fits with the Tau theme because you know, I mean, I don't think the Tau necessarily hate psychers. I think it talks about the ethereals kind of trying kind of trying to cover them up. Um, yeah, but you know, it fits with that Tau theme of you know not let not allowing psychers in and kind of just shunning that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> shunning the unknown a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's different, so it scares me. That's uh, <laughs> that's that's how it goes. Yeah. Species overview: average height, uh, two point five meters or seven to eight feet. Average weight: sixty five kgs or one hundred forty five or one hundred forty to one hundred fifty pounds. Average wingspan: five meters or fifteen to sixteen feet. Average lifespan: four hundred to five hundred years. <laughs> okay, fucking cool. Essentially, avian humanoids with, with large wings, but also four limbs, two arms, and two legs. There are male and female Matarazzi. The female feathers are typically varying shades of brown, with speckles of white and black, also showing white and black frosting on the tips of their primary and secondary feathers on their heads. Female tail feathers tend to exhibit the same color scheme and, sh and are shaped like scissor-tailed flycatcher, like a scissor-tailed flycatcher. The male feathers are typically deep black with frosting of white and red along the marginal covets and alulia segments on the wings. Okay, I'm really learning about birds here. They have two new things I know. Cool. <laughs> as well as the speckling of the tips and their primary and secondary feathers and their heads, the male tail feathers are typically shaped in a stout, strong wedge similar to a common raven tail. Every Madarazzi, fuck, that is a word, is a psyker to some degree with every member of the flock having to learn to control their abilities enough to make minor alterations to the fabric of reality around them. This can be many things from making their bodies more resilient, harnessing the elemental uh, forces in their favor to a slight degree, or telepathically influence other beings. They have a hive mind to a mild degree, allowing any Matarazzi in the area to psychically communicate with each other. The communications aren't in any language, but rather are images accompanied by emotions that convey what, it, what is being communicated. This is also linked in some degree with an ability of some Matarazzi to physically influence. <laughs> they learn new languages fairly quickly. Due to their extensive experience with uh, natural Due to their extensive experience with and natural affinity for warp and the beings there within, the Matarazzi have become virtually incorruptible by the warp taint. They only know the only known example of a Matarazzi falling to chaos is one who came to be uh, named Tuman, literally translated to destroyer, who fell to the ruinous powers. 
She was a sky maiden, a female aerial ranger, who had a sudden blossoming of power, which was too much for the, her mind to handle. See in, see in uh, later text for further explanation. Thanks to their psychic nature, they developed an ability similar to the Eldar Bone Singers and could, can create armor, weapons, and even their nests out of this crystallized warp energies. Appearing similar to a thicker chitinous armor for the ranger wingsuits or carapace plating for the stalwart defenders. Their wraithbone armors have been have since been further reinforced with monofilament mesh layers, adding further strength, but allowing the allowing for electronic networks networks through the the plating to allow full neural integration between the matarazzi, matarazzi and the suits. Allow, also allowing them to feel the suits as if they were naturally part of their bodies. Before the Tau came and helped them improve their armor, they would still have the same ar style of armors, but they weren't nearly as maneuverable as they are now. This also meant that their warp augmentations were more essential in times of war. They have no vehicles for planetary or star travel of their own utilizing Tau vehicles when necessary, although they find riding in vehicles and ships rather uncomfortable. On planet, they will simply fly around in their own, or on their own, or in flocks. Wow, there's a lot of wow. really cool stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, it kind of like, when the with the way that it's kind of like they know, um, but they also are kind of psychic. It reminds me of when there's a lot of Tyranids, it's like all of them are psychic, but not all of them are psychers. But when you get enough of them, they kind yeah. of dampen the warp and do that kind of crazy stuff. So maybe, you know, they're all nesting together up in these mountains and their nests are close together. Maybe that's why it yeah. kind of has an effect on warp on the warp. But no, this is really cool lore, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just like kind of how they have their own type of wraith bone um, that they... I, I can just imagine, too, that they're vomiting up this sub, this warp substance yeah. and like then molding it from there, like... Just bird things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just bird things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, combat rules. So every Madrasti uh, is taught to fight from a young age. This means every member of every flock around Anthus is capable to participating in war if needed. But they are still those who prefer to stay within or around the nest. They will be the ones taking care of the newly hatched Madrasti, maintaining the nest, teaching and training the young ones, etc. Um, you so, want to read this one? Yeah, sure. Um, so aerial rangers, um, wearing light armors on limbs and torso, they're highly aer aerodynamic helmets that contain advanced HUD systems within, allowing enhanced magnification as well as accurate measurements of many things like distances, speed of objects, and containing multiple filters such as infrared, thermal imaging, night vision, etc. Their wings have highly maneuverable armor sheets that rest at the top of their wings, increasing their ability of the wings to allow faster flying speed without damaging the wings underneath while still not hindering their natural wings at all. Smaller jets between the shoulder blades on torso flanks and the larger jets near the base of the spine are used for increased aerial maneuverability and acceleration. The wingsuits is linked directly to the Raptoran's neural network, allowing perfect assimilation of technology and biology and allowing the Raptorans to activate or deactivate jets as necessary. Just the same as being able to move a limb or any other natural body process. 
Armor contains technology that allows the wearer to blend in with natural surroundings while remaining stationary. Increasing stealth capabilities also seems to project flickering holograms around the wearer when in flight, making it harder to determine the exact location and just harder to look in general. Very similar to the Harlequin's hollow suits. Most rangers will use some sort of rifle, but there are the, but there are some who choose to use their aerial superiority and speed to be quick in and out shock troopers. They will utilize lightning claws and power lances, even having specialized power claws on their feet for added attack potential. As for their war gear, they will use rifles, dual pistols, lightning claws, power lances, accelerated photon grenades, and crack grenades. We've got quite the arsenal. Yeah. I'm excited to go through these and like see if I can picture what rule set he's using or if this is all just like, fuck it, whatever, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I keep kind of picturing, okay, maybe is he using Eldar rules and maybe these are like swooping hawks or something, but I think we need to read more to figure out fully if that's even a thing. That's kind of what I was thinking too. And then I saw lightning claws and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, maybe it's... Maybe it's kind of like a Raven Guard kind of thing, but yeah, I don't know. Lightning Claws are such a cool weapon that any, <laughs> any person who's using one is, is deemed okay in my book. Yeah, and these guys have lightning uh, talons as well, it sounds like. like... Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, Stultworth Defenders. They wear heavier armor on the torso and limbs, but can still fly, but are much less maneuverable compared to the aerial ranger counterparts. They use flight as temporary means to get from one place to another quickly, but operate mainly on the ground when in their armor suits. For limited flights, smaller jets on ranger suits are replaced with larger jets with smaller, uh, with added smaller jets on the wings to compensate for the heavier armor, but can still only allow for short flights or assault jumps. Helmets still contain advanced, H uh, advanced HUD and diagnostic tools, but are less about aerodynamics and more sturdy, built more built around combat. Their wings are completely covered in armor, still being linked to the Raptorian neural network, allowing for perfect manipulation of the wings, but still allowing natural wings underneath. Wings can be used as a weapon in melee combat, but can also be drawn around the body to be used defensively, blocking both melee and range attack, even being used to parry in melee combat. Some defenders choose to have their natural wings removed and replaced with bionic wings, making them much more durable. Also, able to house larger retractable blades within the fan of wigs, which could be used in melee combat to devastating effect. Most defenders were focused on melee combat, but there are some who will use heavy weapons such as flamers and fusion blasters. They also employ void shield technology in the Tau or in the defender's armor, increasing their survivability to range attacks and making it easier for them to get into melee range with their enemies. War gear, power swords, lightning claws, shields, heavy short and mid-range weapons, EMP grenades, stasis grenades, and void shields. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wow, I, that's a, a, a cool concept. It really makes me think of, if you've read any of the uh, the Horse Heresy books on the Isfahan 5 Dropsite Massacre, it talks about Corvus Corax 
with these metal yeah. wings flying through and just decapitating people <laughs> left and right, using them as extra swords. And that's kind of how I picture this. Yeah. Just flying in fast, just chopping people's heads off with the wings. <laughs> and and cool. then and then even like, you know, then the bunch of heavy weapons on the hill start shooting and they just cover yeah. their body in the wings and now they're they're fine until like swoop off again. Like yeah, he described these very well. All right. Um, so moving on to the shamans. Uh, shamans are extremely powerful psychers wearing robes only with the he- with the lightest of armors. Uh, robes and armors are lined with various warp signals and inscribed with prayers and wards similar to the Grey Knight's Aegis armor. They can still utilize ranger wing suits to increase aerial capabilities and allow for warp attacks from the skies if they choose. They can establish an eldritch tapestry across the battlefield, also called a rising, raising a chorus, allowing them to extend and amplify their psychic abilities further into more allies or enemies. Multiple shamans raising courses enhance existing tapestries from other shamans, allowing for stronger attacks or longer lasting and more potent buffs and debuffs. Often, mul- multiple shamans will engage a single powerful chorus and simply maintain these at full strength to allow war singer free access to use and focuses more powerful or potent abilities across it without having to expend energy of his own on the tapestry. Many use specialized harpoon guns that allow the shaman to imbue warp energies into the bolt or projectile for increased speed and damage. Additional effects like explosive projectiles or even turning the bolt into a conduit for warp lightning for a time, etc. Others will play entirely supportive roles while wielding a force staff to, for, to further amplify their power and ability to m- manipulate the Eldritch Tapestry. Shamans have the ability to slightly alter the size, speed, or mass of the targets. Um, if being utilized through the Eldritch Tapestry, they can potentially affect multiple allies and, em- and or enemies, though this is very draining on them, and they can only be done temporarily. Also, they can't both buff and debuff simultaneously, they would need to end one to perform the other. And then for their war gear, they rock with the four staff, harpoon guns, pistols, vortex grenades, and Aegis robes. Cool. Shaman war singers. War singers are usually leaders during war and act as teachers or special counsels outside of war. Can use Aegis robes that the shamans wear, but also they can choose to don the Aegis wingsuit should they choose, which is the same process to create the robes applied to a ranger wingsuit. The Aegis wingsuit allows the same speed and maneuverability of the normal wingsuit, except it replaces the environmental blending and hollow suit capabilities with the warp warding and amplification abilities of the Aegis wards robes. Very few shaman will train in melee combat enough to be able to use a talon of Terracona, which is a polearm that has special runes and sigils inscribed along the shaft and a warp crystal socketed in the blade. Most war singers have been rangers or maidens with greater than average psyker potential that fully blossoms one day, causing them to want to further train and hone their new, these new skills, leading them down a path of the shamans and ultimately training in the talon of Terracona. The wards and inscriptions act as foci for various psyker abilities, increasing their their potentials and powers, while also acting as means to interact with the soul crystal. Each spear is perfect or especially crafted for the shaman warsinger when they pass the trials and ascend as a warsinger, with the blade shape and shaft design being picked by the singer at their ascension. <laughs> 
They will inscribe the runes and sigils themselves, allowing them to specialize what powers can be amplified with, with the spear. The crystal is anointed as it is being crafted before it is socketed to give it a real power, to give it its real power. The crystal absorbs the souls of any killed by the spear from lowly, from lowly soldier to demon prince and binds them in the crystal. At this point, the shaman is able to commune with all of them at will while holding the spear to ask advice or insight and even to use the trap beings powers when necessary to extend their own power or even perform abilities they couldn't normally do or haven't been able to do otherwise. The only, only the own, oh boy. Only the owner of the spear can commune with the spirits within the crystal. Thanks to the sigils on the shaft and only when they are holding the spear. Any other person picking up the spear won't be able to hear them at all. This can also be dangerous anyways, as the one of the inscriptions the Warsinger could have put on the shaft is a trap, in a sense that fills the unfortunate wielder with an immense amounts of psychic energy, probably killing them uh, physically or burning out their mind, leaving them an empty husk. Warsinger will be gifted uh, Mataratsai blade, which is a power longsword that have been engraved with runes along the blade to amplify warp powers and severely harm any warp entity cut by the blade. War gear. Talon of Terracona, Mataratsai blade, Aegeus robes, Aegeus wingsuit. Cool. I when I read that, I almost picture like using like Grey Knight rules. There's a lot of anti-demon stuff you could use, and then the 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 stalwart defenders could be terminators, and then the aerial rangers could be those guys with the warp jump packs on their back. And it's like all yeah. these, all these different melee weapons they can all use, from falcons to spears to staffs, all of this. But yeah, definitely. I, I and the last part with the trap, it really makes me think of uh, the orc shaman when they have too much wah energy and so they have to ground themselves or if they literally explode. I kind of think, I kind of think, I, w I like to picture it's like that where there's just so much energy if they touch it, they just explode. Yeah. Well, yeah, he had these like warp harpoons where you shoot them and then like channel warp energies through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, these are all very cool and like all the warding and stuff that's just on everything. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very well done and thorough. Um, so moving on to the special characters. All right, let's see if I can take a crack at this name. Um, Taranoka, I think, uh, he, is, he was 8.5 feet tall, weighed in at about 155 pounds, and had a wingspan of roughly 18 feet long. The first true flock leader. Whether or not he was actually the first doesn't really matter, as he did so much in his life. He is revered still for basically founding the different warrior paths and many aspects of the Madrasti way of life to this day. He was a strong psyker from a young age and also very gifted in melee weapon forms and ranged weapons, from original bows to the harpoon guns that became a staple of the shamans. He was the one to come up with a system of creating the warp crystals that fill in the talons of Taranaka, as well as the runes and sigil configuration, allowing the war singer to commune with the souls and utilize their power when needed. Cool. I like that this guy's just as much a le legend and a myth as he is a real person. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and he seems like he was built like a tank too for a bird, <laughs> eight point five feet tall and one hundred five pounds. That terrify me. God damn, yeah. 
Alderastra, Alderastra uh, slash Tuman, one of the first Sky Maidens, the daughter of Terracona and Assassa. She was originally named Alderastra Burning Star. When she was around 75 years old, after many, many years of training in all things from combat to controlling her psychic energies, she was sent with a large flock to quell a chaos landing party. Her and her flock most certainly did rid the planet of the Kuros incursion, though Alderastra and a few other Matastari took wounds from the warp blades amidst the combat. The wounds got worse and worse despite any treatments the Matarastai tried, eventually leading to the warp corrupting their minds and bodies. Terra and Kona and Asa saw the change happening over months, which led her to creating the runes and sigils configurations and making the process by which to capture souls and crystals. Four months after initial incident, Alderastra and the other injured flock members went into a rage, grabbing weapons, slicing and shooting through as many members of the flock as they could before they were noticed. Terracona killed the other corrupted flock members, then tried reasoning with his daughter, but her mind was too far gone and he could see the warp physically changing her already. After a difficult fight between Terracona and Alderastra, Terracona finally struck the killing blow on his child and stopped her rampage. Because he had been able to complete his project, he was able to keep her soul with the crystal as he, she died, in hope he could eventually find a way to rid the soul of any chaos corruption. After roughly a century of trying and failing, he finally decided to create the first talent of Terracona, socketing the crystal in, the, in his spear's blade and utilizing a rune and sigil configuration on the shaft. He felt that this way he could at least be able to keep his beloved daughter with him in combat and maybe even cleanse the soul eventually in an effort to get his daughter back, despite uh, suspecting that, there was that it was never going to happen. The incident was also the impetus for him in... Uh, Instating ex extremely strict training regimes for young mad madrastar madrastari to get their minds prepared and disciplined from a young age to have the best chance of standing against the ruinous forces of chaos. This act worked out, and now the madrastai are basically impenetrable to those forces, and no other madrastai has fallen. Terracona never called her Tumen called her Tumen in his life, still calling her. Alderastra, when he would commune with the entity in the Talon. This label came much later, as the tales were passed over the generations and the legend of the Destroyer spread, becoming a cautionary tale of the dangers of chaos and the importance of a proper psychic training and mental discipline. Wow, okay, very cool. So that's a story. This is the, the species that he wrote about. Yeah, it, I like how he threw in a little grim dark there towards the end, um, but... <laughs> Really, that 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 kind of gives a lot of definition um, to the species as a whole really well. Yeah. I like how he didn't really write about like you know Calgar who's out there right now beating the crap out of Tyrion. <laughs> like these are old characters that really gave the definition to the to the species and yeah, how they yeah. act. And I don't know if you still said they're around now, but I really like how he did that instead of you know yeah. just talking about what they're doing now. It's it's how they got to where they are. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, and even on that, like, what they're doing, like, I feel like their motivations are pretty clear, like, they, their race suffered from chaos, and now they just kind of want to cleanse chaos wherever they can kind of find it, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, the characters are definitely cool. Um. It, <laughs> the, 
it, it's cool that like yeah just every race isn't safe from chaos and yeah you need to be like super cautious like every 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 race has their horse heresy essentially you know yeah yeah now they've got that gray knight mindset where they're just absolutely going crazy over it and trying yeah. to stay away from it yeah um cool i really like it the only question for this guy is like do you have a tabletop army are there rules out there are you counting as something like what's the deal give me the lowdown i need to see miniatures yeah absolutely and my only question is whether me or mark were able to pronounce the name <laughs> which which one of us got the closest to being able to pronounce it yeah 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 uh it's spelled m-a-d-r-a-s-t-i-i -I, so it's a made-up word i hate him <laughs> making me say it so many times he had a cool word for him he kept on calling them uh raptorians and i thought that was a sweeter name you know yeah, um, yeah maybe like uh if, if it's the high gothic way of doing things you got the matterasti which is like your high gothic that's what the high gothic imperials call them and then the lowborn is like rap oh those raptilians <laughs> yeah raptilians yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool well that was a great episode uh thanks for joining me on the show yeah absolutely it was uh it was great yeah. Um, if you guys want to submit your lore or join me on the show, uh, reach out on Facebook or email or whatever. Um, lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can submit your lore. Also, don't forget to support support the show. Uh, Patreon, you can give me one buck. There's links in the description and then it helps me be a happy boy. Um, well, so thanks again and we'll see you all on the next episode. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.